Welcome back, everybody, to the Inking Out Loud podcast. On this 16th episode, we're going to dive into Skyward, the first title and fantasy titan Brandon Sanderson's newest young adult series. I'm your host, Rob Santos, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? And returning special guest, Jared Livingston. What's up, guys? Now, Welcome I, back. Yeah, welcome, man. Woo! I really don't have much more to say right now because, you know, now that we're veering away from Stover for a little bit of a breather, um, like, meaning I really don't need to precede this episode with a warning about the graphic and the <laughs> gruesome and another G word that I don't even know kind of content that we've been subjected to over the past few weeks. Thanks, yeah. Drew. Um, <laughs> but, like, seriously, like, this was a very welcome break. Uh, Stover has some incredible content, to be sure, but I felt that reading Skyward in between halves of the Acts of Cain, like, just as a comparison, was a lot like what I imagined it would be to find a patch of roses just inexplicably growing in between fields of manure, right? (laughs) And yes, I said manure, because since we're dealing with a more family-friendly kind of subject this week, we're also going to thank Pat McCaffrey once again for the heavy censoring he might have to do for this episode. So, uh, yeah, thanks again, Pat. And thank you, Jared, for, for being on today. Cheers. Um, and now we're going to talk about the entirety of the book in this episode. So we also figured it was best to dispense with the usual, like, Drew recaps everything for today. Um, yeah. Since we're such huge fans of Sanderson already, we're just going to hit the ground running. Or, uh, well, more like hit the ground at a very horizontal angle and try to salvage <laughs> our ship hurl. Yes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. 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 Too soon? I don't know. I think it was fine. Um, but yeah, let's kick it off, man. Well, do we do we want to start on that topic then? Uh, what? Like darkness? The um, sort of. Yeah, um, sure, sure. So Skyward's a YA book, right? It is. And, yeah, and uh, it's. I'm gonna open a beer. Certainly a breath of fresh air after reading Blade of Taishal. You know, it's <laughs> a lot more uh, easy on the soul, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean that there aren't dark moments in it, and and there's kind of the subject of all the cadets who who die. Or are otherwise psychologically traumatized yes. in this book, and and it was honestly something that I kind of liked in this book. How early on we we have that uh, the statistic given, like oh, you know, only was it like statistically only two out of every ten cadets in a class will become full time pilots, and uh, it might might have been three out of ten or something. like I that. I actually but, don't remember the exact statistic, but I remember reading a line a lot like that. Yeah. Yeah, and. How old are they supposed to be? Um, uh, 16? sixteen to eighteen, I want to say nineteen, yeah. maybe for the, you know, the most part. Um, I think but, it was eighteen. But you know, going in, you you kind of expect like, oh, well, this is the main characters' class. Yeah. These are these are the people, the characters you're getting to know and love, and so, you know, yeah, maybe a couple of them will like have to drop out, and maybe one of them will die, but you know, they'll have a better rate. Mm. Like, no, not not even no. a little bit, like. They drop like flies in this book. And that's one of the things I liked the most about it, in fact, was how well Brandon developed these side characters in the cadets that made those deaths and those losses really hit home. Yeah. No, he definitely. It didn't feel like he was uh, like forcing the deaths to try and prove a point about no. the one out of or two out of ten rate, whatever it is. They all seemed, you know, natural. Yeah, they all they all kind of just happened, well, not all, but for the most part, especially with, I noticed with Bim and Morningtide, you know, they were sudden. You didn't get any any warning yeah. that they were going to happen. You kind of, in that moment, you were just as 
shocked and, and breathless as Spencer herself was. Um, but, uh, it, it, and this is something I wanted to talk about, too, because what I think that, like, you know, as with the rest of his, first off, with the rest of his young adult releases, with the exception of Rhythmatist, like, this novel's written entirely in first person, so it matches them in that, in that sense. But it does, as Drew and, and Jared are mentioning here, it does have a few darker uh, tones and more adult themes. Um, like, what sets this apart, I think, is some of the, like, like, not only do some of our favorite characters die so quickly that we're just, you know, left, like, oh my god, but we have textbook instances that follow of survivor's guilt, you know? Yeah. Um, there was a moment in chapter 41, <clears throat> and I quote from the text, a wave of guilt erased my smile. It had only been three weeks since Hurl's death. I shouldn't feel happy. Um, like, these are things I was not ready to, to, to read when I, when I picked up this book, or rather when I downloaded it on my e-reader and, and on Audible. But uh, to take that even a step further, I think, we have this horrifying moment of realization after Spencer manages to save, you know, her squad mate's life, Netter's life. Um, we find out that he was chasing after and attempting to save the lives of his brothers, who then yeah. ended up, you know, losing their lives in the battle. You know, uh, like, and, you know, it's just, and I think it's also really interesting to note that at this exact point with, you know, the revelation of what Netter was trying to do, this was at the dead center halfway point of the book. Dead center. Hmm. Um, like, for example, I, at that moment, I was listening at work on Audible. There was It was 7 hours 40 minutes in, 7 hours 42 remaining. Um, at normal playback wow, speed, okay. of course. Um, but yeah, like this, this book definitely had a lot more adult, darker themes. And I wasn't ready, but I was pleasantly surprised. And uh, I really enjoyed it. I really did. And I think the characters dealt with it, dealt with the darkness in a realistic fashion, which I mm -hmm. like. Yeah, like, we, we see characters develop PTSD, you know, like, we, we see them struggling with the, the trauma of this war that, yep. you know, teenagers are getting thrown into, and that's, that's realistic, that's a, a, an, a faithful portrayal of yeah. what this kind of culture would turn, turn into, like, yeah, what, what kind of people it would develop and and it's just a, another really nice thing that brandon did with this where it would have been so easy especially with spencer as a main character and her particular like bloodthirstiness and and uh like hero worship and all of that like mm -hmm. the her obsession with like ancient m myths and heroes and things like that and and ancient uh war you know yeah mythology and, and, stories heroes yeah and uh it, it would have been very easy filtered through her lens to have this story gloss over the harsh realities of a militaristic civilization. Mm -hmm. But Brandon didn't let that happen, and he allowed the characters around her to to speak for themselves. You know, we, we get <laughs> political commentary from uh, uh, Kimmelin, or... And, uh, and uh, or FM? I thought it was FM, yeah. Yeah, it was FM, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> um... Sorry, I, I haven't read this book in a couple of weeks. Like, I, yeah. I just read <laughs> it, like, a month ago, and mm -hmm. then we decided we were going to do it for the podcast, and I was like, I don't want to read it again right away. So I'm a little hazy on some of the details. Oh, but, yeah? But it was, you know, it, it was really interesting how Sanderson took a first-person perspective and allowed secondary and tertiary characters to breathe and develop and have their own kind of mini arcs in a lot of, in a lot of ways. They did. Yeah. Do you want to start talking about some of those characters? I mean, we could discuss Spencer, you know, first, of course, being the main character. Um, 
Yeah, yeah, let's talk about Spencer first. Okay, so, like, I want to say that like, our first, our, Jesus, I can't speak today. Our first impression of Spencer is definitely that of an odd, quirky little person. I was, I was expecting that. Um, I'm going to piss off a lot of people with this next sentence, but don't worry, it gets better. She reminds me a lot of Lyft um, from Stormlight, but she's, Way in my funnier. opinion... And yeah, she's infinitely more palatable, in my opinion. You know, like, right off the bat, on the first, I think it was the first, maybe second page. I imagined those broken rocks as the broken bodies of my enemies. Their bones shattered, their trembling arms reaching upward in a gesture of total and complete defeat. I was a very odd little girl. You know, then that last line for me is what defines how she's different in that respect. She's still quirky, but she shows this immediate measure of self-awareness, which I thought yeah. was a great way to set the, not only the tone of her character, but a lot of Brandon's humor uh, going forward, you know? Yeah, so you know, we've talked about his humor in the past. Uh, we have. And and I think most people at this point probably know that, generally speaking, Rob and I are not big fans of lots of Brandon Sanderson's humor. Sure, sure. Uh, but I actually found myself laughing along with Skyward at several points. I, I was not graded yep. by the humor the way... Uh, some other books have and and that's despite <laughs> the fact that it's still like it's the same style like it's the same uh delivery that brandon has in things like the reckoners and the stormlight archive and mistborn era 2 where there there's like a a funny quirk yeah. that a character has and that's like a defining character trait like you have wayne with his hats or you have lift with the awesomeness and the pancakes and you have Lopen, you know, with like the one-armed jokes and like, and and with Spensa, it's like her like grandiose statements of like war and and valor and stuff like that. But I I found it amusing. This eh, time. It got yeah. on my nerves. No, I, I'm with Jared on that one. That part of it got on my nerves. I mean, like you said, Drew, there's a lot of points in this book where I did laugh out loud. But uh, with with specifically with Spensa's kind of like you listed her grandiose kind of war cries in her in her terms I, yeah. I i was a little sick of those like jared was yeah i appreciated mbot's humor much yep. more than spence's humor <laughs> yep yeah mbot was definitely funny that caused some <laughs> some literal laugh out louds for sure yeah what about so yeah like okay so like discussing spence's her character arc though like i her her first pivotal moment for me is like when she begins to show like show her true defiance um would be when she decides first you know to hell with everyone i'm writing this aviation test and a big theme in this book seems to revolve around failure and what it does to people in terms of their confidence. And for Spencer, this was the moment I felt like she came the absolute closest to true failure was when she was deciding maybe maybe I'm just, I, I'm not good enough. Maybe I won't write this test. No. Um, but mm -hmm. We found a few things uh, like there were a few things rather predictable about her character, at least how it started, I thought. Um, as soon, like, for example, as soon as she sees the questions on her test about algae, my brain immediately went, oh, okay, so when is she going to steal a real test and fill it out perfectly, you know? She yeah. could just slam that thing down on the desk next day and just exit stage left. Perfect. You know, and then, of course, mm -hmm. we see her lagging behind after the test, and suddenly the idea comes to her. I'm just sitting there going, oh, Spencer, honey. It was so <laughs> obvious, you know? Um, but where her character ended up, you know, all, the, all this this journey of self-discovery. Um, it's a common thing I found in a lot of young adult books, but I, I think yeah. Sanderson handled it very well. He wasn't... Um, she didn't end up in a, in a position of too much power at the end or too much self-worth, 
but uh, I really liked where her character started and where it ended up, because I think it leaves a lot of room in the future for, you know, for future novels in this series uh, to further develop that character. Yeah, and, uh, you know, we're talking about a YA novel. Like, YA books are, like, kind of by nature always going to be... Exactly. Yeah. Self-discovery, coming-of-age stories, um, uh, a little literary term for, for people. This particular, uh, like, trope, a coming-of-age story is called a Bildungsroman. Oh, see, I didn't know that. I'm learning stuff, yeah. too. Uh, but, but so pretty much every YA book you're going to read is this type of story. Like, that's just the nature of this audience. It, you're... When you're writing targeted for like 13 to 18 year olds, these are people going through, you know, like major transitory and foundational uh, developments in their lives. And, and so they want to read about people they can sympathize with. Yes, and, relatability. And, and connect cute. to. And, uh, um, it, but that, that said, I do think that while Skyward had some predictable. Uh, you know, points. There were there's some predictable story beats in in Spence's arc. Uh, I there were still a couple of things that took me by surprise. And considering how many Brandon Sanderson books I've read and and how well I understand his kind of proclivities as a writer, um, that pleased me that I wasn't able to accurately predict everything at the end of the book. Yeah, yeah. for Spence, I. For Spencer, I'd also add in a theme of, I guess, social acceptance. One of my favorite moments for her was when uh, her fellow cadets invited her into the training school and, you know, their dormitory area, and they, you know, snuck her food and all these things, and she kind of, like, stayed the night there. That was one of my favorite moments. Yeah, that was a very heartwarming scene. I I loved that. And and I also, that was another point where it kind of made me laugh. Uh, where um, uh, it's Kimmelin who, like, you know, draws her in, and she's, like, decked out like a ninja and, like, <laughs> trying to sneak around and and being all, like, over-the-top furtive. Like, you know, there, there were some situational uh, humor moments in this book that that I thought really hit home. But but that, that scene, you know, it started off as, like, this kind of slapsticky, like, oh, wow, like, okay, Kimmelin, like, you can calm down a little <laughs> yeah. bit here. But but then when the scene really concludes and, and you realize what they're doing and what they're risking for Spensa, mm-hmm. it's a touching character moment. It is. And and it's another one of those ways that he helps develop these secondary and tertiary characters yeah. in this book. And it introduces a lot of humanity, I think, uh, that we get to see. Because we wouldn't get to see that kind of humanity out of Spensa otherwise if she wasn't there to realize wow, I've never had this before. Wow, I don't want to leave this, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of FM, were you done your point there? I don't want to, sorry, I don't want to interrupt you there. Yeah, good? All good. Okay, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Um, uh, speaking of FM and Kimmelin, um, I want to say that I kind of saw that, I, I didn't see that coming, but I knew they were up to something. There was a little hint that we were given earlier that I picked up on. It was uh, when it's mentioned that FM and Kimmelin were both complaining about a cold and yeah. uh, had been di- and you know had been distancing themselves for for some reason and right away I did go okay they're up to something I don't know what it is but we, <laughs> we found out right away what it was and it was touching it was you know it, it, mm-hmm. it lent this gesture of humanity like I said to Spencer and to those two characters that we wouldn't have gotten otherwise um, so yeah I, yeah, I did and, like those tertiary characters and so so sticking with Spencer here sure um, talking about the big revelation at the end of this book that she is 
the mechanism for uh, their faster than light travel. Mm-hmm. That the the engineer like gene is what allows this. Yeah. Um, and so, for any anybody who's not aware, uh, Brandon Sanderson has previously written a story that actually takes place in the same universe as Skyward, uh, and that is Defending Elysium. It was a, it was a an old short story that he wrote like back in the like you know mid two thousand. This is news to me. <laughs> and um, and this uh, this particular form of faster than light travel is a plot point in Defending Elysium. Oh my god! So How did I not know uh, that? so I. You know, I started reading Defending Elysium when I, you know, kind of put two and two together that it was the book that connected to Skyward. Uh, but I ended up stopping uh, about halfway through it where I was like, you know what? No, I don't want to know. Yeah. And uh, and so I didn't get the uh, the the FTL reveal yet. And, and that remained a big mystery for me throughout mm-hmm. this book. And so... It was it was nice getting uh, that revelation at the end of this book, and uh, and and how in typical Sanderson fashion he he gives Spencer this ability this fantastic sure. ability, but it has a a drawback. You know, there's the the weakness, there's the vulnerability. Oh, you mean like yeah, with their you know be like I, I like the Krell. I love the fact that they turned out to be some sort of hive mind this entity that it you know it was really cool idea that yes you could tap into their communications and intercept them and actually understand them but Mm -hmm. the the deeper and deeper into there you get the more you risk losing yourself i thought that was a great uh a great mechanic there um you know and i will also say this was like the big prediction that i missed on while i was reading this book with their uh the, the constant mystery shrouded around the krell and the fact that like there's never any bodies to recover mm-hmm. and like nobody's ever seen one. They don't know what they are. I, I was dead certain the Krell were just going to be humans. Yeah, no, me too. And I, I still think some of them are, I have a, I have a couple of predictions going forward. Minor ones we'll talk about at the end, but, but no, but I had so the that same was thought. a nice, that was a yeah. nice twist where I was like, okay, it really is, uh, you know, an, an alien race. And I think that's Brandon becoming a little self-aware. Yeah, yeah. Being okay. like, I'm, I'm getting a little predictable mm-hmm. with my twists. And so I'm just going to do the kind of twist that a, a reader who doesn't know Brandon Sanderson wouldn't expect. Right? Sure. Like, like it, but the kind of twist that, like... I don't know, I'm, I'm getting myself all mixed up trying sure, to do, like, double okay. negatives. Uh, <laughs> like, like a reader who knows Brandon Sanderson and knows, like, the kind of twists he's done in previous series would expect the Krell to be humans. Wouldn't expect? And so it's... Would. Yeah, it would. That's why exactly yeah. I was like, well, I've read a lot yeah. of Sanderson. Yeah, and so he, like, he wrote something that probably wouldn't be surprising to new readers of Sanderson. Like the Krell just like wouldn't be a twist to them, yeah, I agree. But it was a twist to veteran readers. And so like he's he's aware of his audience. There are other areas that I have notes written down for as well in terms of character arcs that I think Brandon realized. Oh, I think I might be getting a tad predictable. I'm going to switch it up on this one. Hmm. Um, but uh, that's mostly with other them? characters. Um, do you guys want to move on from Spencer? Are you are you uh, about finished with your? Uh... Yeah. No, let's let's move to Jerkface. Okay, perfect, because this is exactly who I was talking about. Awesome. I was, but yeah. Yeah, okay, you figured probably. So, like, as soon as, as soon as Sensa, uh, Sensa, oh my god, I'm going to screw up her name like 40 <laughs> times. Spencer, 
as soon as she really like, recognizes uh, him as like the boy from the test, you know, she we get this uh, description of him as this useless aristocrat pretty boy from her part, uh, her, her point of view. I started counting down the chapters until they ended up in a relationship. Like I just seen, I was like, oh, okay, well, clearly, like it, it just seems so obvious. You know, she's literally determined to hate him from the first glance, unconditionally. It's something that you see repeated so often in these young adult style narratives that I made yep. the call like immediately. I consider how perfectly opposite their personalities are. You know, one is a poor, impoverished, impoverished. Oh my God! I mean, I just can give up my sentences today. A poor, impoverished girl from a dishonored <laughs> family, sporting a bad yeah. attitude, and the other is a privileged boy from a renowned family with little patience for childish behavior. Their, their personalities are clearly different, but this is the sort of perfect duality I think that Sanderson nailed. Um, in Mistborn with Vin and Ellen, even though a lot of people mm-hmm. I've heard aren't a big fan of that particular romance. I think I that it. aspect of their romance was, was spot on. They are polar opposites, but they complement one another perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, like opposing and complementary personalities like this almost always end up together. And a part of me is convinced that Sanderson wrote them apart after all because too many people caught on from page one. Like even from that first glance, maybe. But you know, I'm just... Talking about uh, that, as I could from, not from what I understand, that was not a like a post hoc change. Uh, sure. He he never intended for Spencer and and uh, Jerkface to get together in this book. I I still think they'll eventually end up together. Yeah. Uh, at the end of this four book Skyward sequence. But uh, yeah, in case you're not aware, yeah, he originally planned it as a trilogy, and oh, like yeah, that's right. You told me this. Couple like the ago. acts of Cain, he he realized like the third installment would be better served as being split into two books. So, but he, I mean, he's already written the second one uh, that comes out this fall. Starsight. Uh, yeah, and then um, presumably he's going to do something similar once he's done with Stormlight uh, mm-hmm. Four and um, the Lost Metal, the the fourth Mistborn Era two book. Um, He'll go back to his YA, you know, like a refresher that he always does, and he'll crank out the last yeah. two Skyward books, I imagine. Uh, but yeah. but anyway, Jerkface, um, yeah. I like Jerkface. I I he was maybe my favorite character in this book. What? I mean, I liked yeah. him, but the, your favorite character? Huh? Yeah, I, I he was great. Like, I mean, Cobb was awesome too. But oh no, I hated Cobb. Sorry. No, you know, what? I don't I don't want to say that. I I don't want to say that. <laughs> I hated, I liked him, but I hated how predictable everything that came out of his mouth ever was. Uh, uh, sure. You know what? Jerkface might be but up there. Jerkface was not three. predictable, though. He was not no, predictable. No, he, he wasn't. I mean, you thought he was predictable. He, he was introduced yeah. immediately as the stereotype, which I kind of enjoyed like, how, I, you know, Brandon I turned loved, it on his head. I loved how he's presented and you're, and you're given the impression that he's going to be this, like, overprivileged jerkface. And, uh, you know, to tone down the language instead of sticking with arcane language there, um, he's a jerk face. And, uh, but from Spence's point of view, and so she comes in with all these assumptions about him, like, oh, he's just in here because of his family. He, he's not going to be good at this stuff. And then you find out like, oh no, this guy's an amazing pilot, great, like strategist, tactician. Like he, is he though? Is he that great? Yeah. I mean, he was practiced, but it's not like no, he was, like, like, he was amazing. Was he, he took advantage of his privilege and worked hard. He didn't just coast, which is something that I appreciated. Uh, you know, it's it's something I've seen in a lot of recent science fiction fantasy books. There, there's almost a trope developing where there is the privileged character who coasts and just gets by on their you know whatever yeah. pedigree. It, it, it happens to be in, in that world. 
But I appreciated that Sanderson made Jerkface a hard worker mm-hmm. and and an actually effective and competent person, yeah. and not just made him like essentially a uh, slapstick like straw man white privilege character that you get in a lot of books these days. Sure. So I liked how <clears throat> earnest I like how earnestly he was depicted trying to learn how to become a flight leader, and I liked how he stuck with most of his team when you could probably when you wouldn't blame it at all for you know being stuck with personalities like spenza having yeah. to deal with you know he kind of <laughs> he sticks through it and i like that about him mm-hmm. uh, yeah like, exactly like like mm, jerk face he's he he does immediately not immediately but he does eventually become this much more empathetic character way more than i was expecting and i was oh, rooting yeah. for them them being spenza and, and, and jerk face but not quite as much as i was rooting for raj <laughs> despite the fact that he didn't really seem very mm-hmm. interested um but with jerk face <sighs> i got the distinct impression that sanderson was toying with our emotions there is a okay, case so there was this moment when during this this brief moment of extreme emotional fragility uh spencer she, she grabs a fistful of his uniform and then she just rests her head against his chest you know it's still a rather it's personal and it's intimate, but with the amount of death and destruction and loss that we're getting at this point, you're kind of expecting a little more in the way of romance. And at this point, you're going, oh, here it is. But no, you know, the scene just kind of ends here. And then just a chapter or two later, she she sought him out and she confessed what she learned about her father, her fears about doing the same thing. And Jorgen confessed, or I'm calling him Jorgen now, confessed some serious feelings. And as a reader, you're realizing, oh my God, this is finally it. <laughs> and it still doesn't happen. And it's about this point in the story, I'm starting to think, okay, they might not end up together after all. Um, Can I ever work you know? with them, though, him being flight leader? Is... Yeah, no. Did, he, did they... he read, like, Ellen Venture to you guys at all? <laughs> um, kind of. Kind of? I don't know. It, to me, it sounded like almost no, the exact No, he's less guy. naive. Like, Ellen is more, much more naive, I think, than... Sure. I don't know. Maybe it's just... I don't know. I couldn't get Ellen out of my head as I was reading uh, Jorgen, despite the physical differences. Interesting. So, are we about done with uh, Jerkface, or do we have more to uh, get out of the way with him? Um, I think we can be done with him for now. Let's move on to Raj, because you just brought him up. Sure, sure. I <laughs> sure. I am suspicious of Raj. Even though I, you know, I'm, I'm, I was rooting for, for he and Spencer... Just, you know, it seemed like I was a teenage boy at one time. I was finding a lot of excuses to hang out with girls that I really liked. But it turns out I think <laughs> he was just really interested in MBOT and trying to fix MBOT. Um, but I'm really suspicious yeah. of him. Really, really suspicious going forward. Uh, it seemed, oh, and I'll tell you what. Suspicious in right at the Right sense? at the very beginning, I think he's, he's double-crossing. There's something <clears throat> sinister about him. And I only have one real, <laughs> I mean, this is an immediate impression I got based on uh, in the preview chapters, I remember having this impression in the preview chapters, but there's this, there are these uh, moments when the, if I'm trying, I'm trying to remember, this is months ago. I read this now, these impressions, the elevators weren't working and they, and there was something about the way that that kept lining up with his absences. But like, I, and then I, we, we discovered that he's a mechanical engineer and I thought, oh, he's perfectly capable of doing that. He's working on Mbot. He's actually gathering a lot of this technology. I feel like this is, this is the perfect kind of, character to bring things forward in the future 
into like a more sinister thing because he's getting a lot of secrets now. He's learning how these systems work, and I don't know. I just I don't think we get enough out of him for me to totally dismiss him as uh, you know not a, I totally dismiss him as a threat going forward. I think I just I feel like he's a little too unimportant, and it's too great of a character to turn into like you know a villain. I don't know. It's just yeah. This is an impression. Like I said, I think back in September when these preview chapters first came out um having finished the book now a little uh i don't know i don't know how i feel about that going forward but that's an impression <laughs> that i had for sure with raj i, I never got that impression no, to me no. he was just kind of he he got bulldozed into this flight school exactly. dream of spenza's and realized he didn't want to do it and found his true calling perhaps yeah and and so i actually think uh brandon is setting up Raj for a, a further kind of thematic uh, extension of that where in in this book it's very easy to see him as a potential romantic partner for Spencer and it's very easy early on in the book to see him as like oh yeah he's this like great student he's going to become a pilot and he's going to be like her wingman and all this stuff and then as it turns out no like he's he's not fit to be a pilot he needed to find his own way and and kind of get out from under Spencer's influence. Okay. And uh I I have to wonder based on their interactions and his complete indifference towards Spencer whether Brandon intends on making him a homosexual or asexual. Well, he was asking about FM in the future. I mean, he was, you know... I, I still, I still, like, I, uh... I... mean, he, he showed some clear interest in FM, and he was kind of awkward after the fact, like, okay, never mind. I, I felt like, it felt uh, like he was just simply not interested in Spencer for some reason. I don't know. It just all, their relationship just always felt platonic. I mean... I mean, that, that, that could be. And, and it would be certainly a bold step for Brandon to take to, to you know... Uh, bring Raj in that direction in future books because, you know, this has been kind of a, a long-time thing in, in some uh, mm -hmm. circles of Brandon Sanderson's fandom. Uh, there's there's kind of a demand for more, you know, LGBT uh, yeah. representation. For more voice. And there was, yeah. and there was a, there's been a little bit of that in the Stormlight Archive and... Uh, you see a little. And uh, Mistborn Era 2 uh, with... Um, but with, like, side characters. Like, Renette. Way yeah. side characters, yeah. you know. And, uh, and he has talked in recent interviews about, like, wanting at some point to write, uh, an LGBT in some manner main character. And I, I, maybe it was just, like, the timing of those, like, those interview questions where he, he brought that up in regard to when he was writing Skyward and... And maybe I'm way off base on this, but I just, like, I, I have this little inkling okay. that, like, Raj is still figuring himself out, and and I think he's going to become a more important character going forward, and he's going to get, a, like, a real personal mm. arc. I guess, so, I assume. Uh, I suppose. I don't know. I, I found my note, by the way, that I had written down about, about Raj, what made me suspicious of him. And it's basically what I said, but I, I managed to phrase it a lot better when I was writing it down, as most things that I do. Um, okay, so... Right here. Uh, Raj is being a little suspicious. Late twice for class with his record. Uh, complete and total access to everything concerning Embot, Spence's most trusted friend. 
at that point he was at least he's got to be spying for what i consider uh you know or he's got to be spying for someone or like i'm willing to bet that he could even be behind the elevators malfunctioning though i have no idea why he would need to do that i, I don't know why i'm focusing on the elevator so much it was just like these little details that are included that hmm. that, that i i'm always super like hmm. aware of i'm always looking for because of what brandon's done to me in his past books um but that was what i had written down about about raj um so i mean we do get at least a an ostensive explanation for such, him being he's late got where, such a where good he record, just though. He, he, well, well, it's because he decides, like, this isn't for me. And he, and he just, you know, ends up, like, stopping altogether. Right. I was and... expecting it to turn out that he was spying for Ironsides, and now they have, like, Mbot, and now Mbot's captured, and that's, that's where I was expecting <laughs> the, the narrative to go. Interesting. But, yeah. Um, uh, and so, I only have one more thing to say about Raj. Sure, sure. And that is, uh, his full name is Roger McCaffrey. Yeah, I noticed that. I did notice um, that. What? I chuckled a little so, bit, yeah. So, there's, there's like, a, a clear divergence here. I want to make this very plain. <laughs> He's, it is a total coincidence that I have the same last name as Roger McCaffrey, and it is a total coincidence that I have an uncle who does work in publishing named Roger McCaffrey. As far as I know, he has never met Brandon Sanderson. Okay. Um, <laughs> everything I know... Uh, points to the fact that this book was specifically inspired by the like boy and his dragon uh, epic fantasy trope yep. that was uh, in large part popularized by Anne McCaffrey, and that's why you know he wanted to put in an Anne McCaffrey reference, so he used that last name. And also, no, I'm not related to Anne McCaffrey. I wait. <laughs> I've asked. Uh, I asked Drew that right like around the time I met him. Don't worry, everybody. He's not. Um, <laughs> not that it's a bad thing. Sorry, I don't want to make that impression. I don't know why I said it that way. Uh, but, but, despite all that, like it's very much a coincidence with all of this. Um, I, I still like every time I see that name on the page, I'm just like, ooh, nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, do you want to move on to uh, Cobb, perhaps? Sure. Okay, because I know we've got some. It sounds like we've got some opposing viewpoints on, on Cobb here. Yeah. I. Mm, I didn't enjoy his. I mean, I thought he was so pretty. I just, I didn't enjoy Cobb. I didn't. I don't know. His humor to me was 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 lame. His character not was even so his like heroic arrival. Yeah. It's, oh my god. Okay. I have a whole note <laughs> written down about that. I'm just trying to get this out of the way. Okay. Actually, I only have two little points to talk about him. So I'll get these out of the way right away. I didn't like him. I didn't loathe him like I do Ironsides. We'll get to that later. Uh, but his character as a whole felt way too ham-fisted for me. He's such a stereotype in every way. Mm. Of course he's gruff. Of course he has a dark emotional past that he overcompensates for. Of course he decides to take on the unconventional recruit. Of course his humor is based entirely on insults delivered almost as part of casual observation. Now, for example... When Netter asks him, what about those of us who are drooling meathead idiots, but we were trained by you? And Cobb just goes, don't sell yourself short, Netter. I've never seen you drool. Yada, yada, yada. Let's continue with the rest of my orders. As if I didn't just deliver a brilliant zinger. You know? Um, and as Jared just mentioned, of course he shows up in the nick of time to take on those Krell blasters with Mbot's shields. That terrible one-liner, typical of the old master berating the student in the middle of a chaotic battle. It felt like a really, really cheesy action movie directed by a 14-year-old. I was not a fan. I rolled my eyes so hard in that moment that I'm not entirely certain they've managed to come back into focus yet. <laughs> 
How do so, you really feel? Yeah. Tell that's, me how you really now, feel, I don't want to make this a condemnation of Brandon Sanderson. I just want to make it a condemnation of that damn character. I just found him so predictable that I didn't enjoy reading him, like, ever. But so I didn't know, hate can, him. I didn't want him to have die a, like Ironsides. So. You can have a well-written character that you hate. Sorry, say again? And you can have a well-written character that you hate. Oh, sure. Some of the best written characters are the ones that you hate the most. Mm -hmm. Joffrey, for example. Baron. <laughs> um, Baron, oh god, count, oh god, that's not a yeah. Saint Baron. Anyway. Oh lord, yeah, sorry. Oh, I know, like, how terrible is that? <laughs> they have to, like, oh, but I, that's yeah. two that's words have for, never for belonged for a game apart. conversation. Um, yeah, but no, so my my thoughts on Cobb, like, yes, he's a, he's a predictable character, like, he's he is the kind of person that we have seen before in many movies and 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 read in many books. I still loved him, like, he. He, he's, and maybe this is like coming from my experience as like, as like a competitive hockey player and some of the coaches that I've had over the years, but he specifically reminds me a lot of my uh, high school hockey head coach. Okay. Like they, to a T, they're like the same person. What's his, what's his and, man's name? Give him a shout out. Let's hear it. <laughs> uh, Clayton Kasager. Uh, he's, Kasager. he was, Absolutely fantastic. Uh, definitely my favorite hockey coach ever. Um, awesome. But but he, he had like kind of the same, you know, like gruff, abrasive like approach, but with always like an undercurrent of humor like woven in. Like a suffering and, uh, kind of humor. Yeah, and like like uh <laughs> so this is this is gonna get Oh man, I, I really want to tell this story, but we're on like our YA podcast oh, episode. Uh, All right, you okay. know, no, I'm going to I'm going to say this and if if you're um if you're listening to this Pat, and you're get ready to censor, to man. any kind of uh um <laughs> here it comes more more mature content. There was one hockey game like our high school team was good. We were ranked number 2 in the state and we were undefeated going into this game and we were playing against the number 1 team in the state on nice. their home rank. And he walks into the locker room before the game and it was dead silent in there. Like everybody was so nervous, like so tense. And normally we're all joking around and stuff and, and, and loose and having a good time. And But he walks in and he just stops. He's like, who woke up with a Woody this morning? <laughs> <laughs> and oh, just yeah. immediately broke the tension. And like and and we played one of our best <laughs> games of the season from that point. Awesome. <laughs> like, you know, and that's the kind of thing that I could see Cobb doing, right? Like, like he, he has the ability to like break the tension in, in a, you know, like a rough time for these cadets and like and so that was something i appreciated about him i i liked his character because of that okay i liked him he was a bit predictable but i think he was the i think he was the exact instructor that spends the needed oh yeah oh yeah and I, I did enjoy the fact that it turns out he's teaching them a lot of things that uh, the other pilots aren't learning um, I like the fact that, of course, Cobb's class comes out, and as they're just before graduation, they are just showing up, the other pilots. And the other, even the other pilots are like, hey, you, uh, are you looking for a, a flight squadron to join afterwards? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> or, uh, yeah, you know, it, yeah. It, it wasn't unredeemable. Irredeemable? Whatever that word is. Um, irredeemable. Irredeemable, <laughs> thank you. I didn't hate him as much as I hated Ironsides. I just thought he was so predictable, and I just, I don't know. I just expected so something out of Iron the order. I liked Ironside. I wanted I... her to <laughs> die from page one, and I still want it to happen. 
Oh, so this is this is going back to my point yeah. earlier, where Brandon managed to give like at least mini character arcs to like these side characters, and Ironsides is one of them. I mean, she is just a she's ruthless. <laughs> she's a witch. <laughs> oh, I thought uh, you were gonna say something a lot worse there. <laughs> well, no, I'm trying to censor myself. Yeah, for the, sure, for sure. the YA episode here, this is not Kane. Uh, <laughs> uh, you, you know, and 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 the way she treats Spencer is so bad, but then you find out like, no, she's justified with this. There, there is like obviously she doesn't have complete information because as we find out, like Spencer has like a way around it, you know. Gonna... Uh, but, but like, she has hard empirical evidence that people with these genes are totally vulnerable and like. Empirical and personal evidence that she was directly involved with. Yeah, like like she she's doing this for uh like you know for a good reason. And so it was a cool way that I thought Brandon took a, a character who could who started off looking like she was about to turn into Dolores Umbridge and uh <laughs> yeah. and made made me not like her by the end of it, but at least feel some sympathy for this tough situation she finds herself in and that she's like trying to navigate the best she can. And, uh, I mean, outside of Kim, Kim she's Kim my favorite. She's my favorite side character. Yeah. I love Kim Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> before I get into this, I'm going to open up another drink. Um, <laughs> here we go. All right. So, I think it was a really interesting stylistic choice uh, that Brandon makes with her chapters for the most of the book. Like, for one, they're all interludes until yeah, they're the all last interludes. few yeah. uh, viewpoints. She was in part five here and there. I'm not a fan <clears throat> in this instance of listing her title with every introduction to her viewpoints. It felt overdone. Uh, every time we got back to her, it was Admiral Judy Ironsides Evans. There was never, <laughs> like, it just, I, I, I read those words too many times in succession that I got sick of them. Um, I can I say <clears throat> something about that? Sorry, yeah, go ahead. I I, I think that is a uh, it's him using the opportunity for a different point of view to to give you insight into how she thinks of herself. Yeah, and I, I have a note written down about that uh, <laughs> oh, okay. later. No, later here though. Um, but yeah, and I, I for example, there are other characters in Brandon Sanderson's you know body of writing that I think he did this really well with. Not touching on any kind of spoilers at all, but for example, in the Stormlight Archive, Zeth, Sun Sun Volano, Truthless of Shinovar, you yeah, know, yeah. and how how he every time we get back to him, not every time, but occasionally, suddenly it changes depending on how he thinks of himself. You know, I I did realize that's what he was going for, but in this case, I don't think we got enough of an arc out of Judy Ironsides for it to feel justified listing her title so many times. Um, it never changed, <clears throat> but um. Going on, I said I loathed this character both as a person and as a narrative device. <laughs> I figured there was a reason that she was trying to deny Spencer her pilot status, and I was absolutely ready to find out that she wasn't just holding a childish grudge. And of course, this turned out to be true, but for me, it didn't really exonerate her at all. Because of the way she treated Spencer, I just hated that. For me, the only redeeming parts of her chapters were how excellently they were written. Um... Brandon's prose really shines with her viewpoints, though. Like I said, I hated her as a character. I hated her as a as a device. But stylistically, I really enjoyed the rapidly switching viewpoints from near the end. You know, though I, I admit mm -hmm. by the time by the last time she whispered the defect, you know, I was starting to get sick of that line too. 
but <laughs> to balance that complaint, I will say that my absolute favorite Iron Ironside's line was when Spencer first started fighting like 15 Krell above Alta alone. And at that point, you know, Ironsides was asked, have you ever seen flying like this before? And she thinks that she has from one pilot. I got chills in that moment. I, I literal chills. Like I actually yeah. shivered, which harkens back to something I've been saying over the course of this entire podcast. And not just in this episode, but since we've started, an author really proves his or her merit when they can elicit an actual physical reaction from the reader. Uh, no matter how yeah, small. Yeah. And I did get an actual physical reaction to that. I will say, Brandon Sanderson wrote her brilliantly. I just hated her guts. <laughs> I hated her. But I, I will say, again, a couple stylistic things, like I mentioned earlier. Just the, yeah, the yeah. repeating of her titles over and over again. And the defect was just one too many times. Just one too many times. See, I like characters like her that you're ostensibly supposed to hate that are doing things for pretty good reasons. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I wasn't, yeah. Were you surprised she lets, on that subject? She lets her personal out? grudges get in the way, I guess. Obviously. Speaking of that ulterior motive, were you surprised at all when you found out the truth about Chaser and what he did? Uh, a little bit, yeah. Um, I think early on, we're, we're expected to buy into Spence's version of events mm-hmm. that there, there must've been a mistake that like he wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, and, <clears throat> and then as it goes on, you're like, Oh, well, what is this defect? Like it's, it's presented as cowardice. Right. Mm-hmm. But as a, a long time reader, Brandon's books, you know, it's more than that. I just never quite put my finger on what exactly it was. Exactly, yeah. Um, and so so it was like, it, it was less of a surprise than just like a, a feeling of satisfaction finding this uh, this information. Yeah, and like I mentioned, I, I was being used to Brandon's writing at this point. I was expecting there to be something that we didn't know, some reason for her grudge. Yeah. And we did get that, like I said. Um, as Drew said, I knew there was something you know, Cobb's kind of pseudo confirmation definitely played into it a lot when he refused mm-hmm. to deny what Spencer was saying in that one yes. scene there. Yeah. Um, but what I really appreciated about this is that it was the exact opposite of what we were suspecting was really going on. We thought that mm-hmm. there was a reason that Chaser did what he did and that, well, I mean, I guess technically there was, but we thought that it was going to turn out that Chaser was totally the bad guy or the good guy and that he was set up or something like this. But what we found out was the exact opposite. Yeah, so my uh, going back to my earlier other wrong prediction where I said I thought the Krell were going to be humans, what I thought it was going to turn out to be was that like he actually got a look inside a cockpit and saw another human and was like, this yeah, but- whole thing's a mistake, what are we doing? And so he, he was going to like refuse to fight them and become a pacifist, and that, and that would spark a pretty major character change for Spencer, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but obviously that was all wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Yeah, but yeah, I like I, just just to, to recap. I liked that it was kind of a step in the other direction. I I appreciated mm-hmm. that for sure. I, I don't know. I I liked it. I didn't have any major. I guess I liked the duality of it, where you know, <clears throat> Spenza was right that they were lying, but it was for different reasons. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, yeah. 
so I only have really one other character that I want to touch on. Sure. And uh, very briefly, for obvious reasons, uh, how do we feel about Doomslug? Oh, we're not going to talk about Mbot? Or we did already talk about Mbot. What am I saying? Sorry. Doomslug? Uh, <laughs> I don't... Like, uh, this, this, I, <laughs> I'm very torn with Doomslug. Because Doomslug is either completely irrelevant or absolutely central to everything that's going on. And we just he don't is absolutely central to everything going right? on. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Like, there's yeah. just no reason he's, he's for that the, character. He's got the, like, cytonic... Like, like yeah, Doomslug totally. clearly can move faster than light. Like, yeah. what what I think is going to happen here is that she's going to find some way to, like, integrate Doomslug into Mbot, <laughs> or that Mbot was previously integrated with Doomslug, and so you don't actually need, a, like, a pilot with these genes to use, you know, the faster-than-light mm. travel. So, uh, mm. like, it's, it's very clear that Doomslug has the ability to freaking teleport a bigger part to play i think doomslug <laughs> yeah. has oh 100 percent, 100 percent. i like doomslug i yeah. loved mbot <clears throat> so yeah and this, but that was all i needed yeah. to say <laughs> <laughs> okay good yeah so um, now i understand uh, all the sanderson posts that i see on social media when he oh, says yeah, I know. he's leaving doomslug stickers around yeah and you get the sense that maybe it's just because of course a lot of fans are really attached to this character all of a sudden inexplicably without much reason just like a couple other uh smaller (laughs) characters stick but (sighs) yeah but um (laughs) i i'm calling it now speaking of since we're actually starting to predict a thing or two do you want to throw down some predictions going Mm. forward so i have a couple (laughs) well three predictions to make going forward with the rest of the series Was that? Oh yeah, sorry. Okay, I thought you were going to start saying something. Um, okay, so my first prediction going forward is that Mbot is. Uh, let me see what I had written right here. Mbot. Um, I, I think he is a. He's not merely an artificial intelligence. He's either a real human, or a copy of one's brain, reassembled to fit into circuitry. And more, I'm calling it right now that he is actually a pre-Krell War human. Maybe even an Earth time based human like it would explain how like a certain little quirks of his number one like how he seems to take pauses to think how he backtracks in conversations to get more context for things that confuse him but more importantly are his references he references uh pieces of of art and symphony that we have nowadays he makes a reference to schrodinger's cat i don't know if anybody picked Mm -hmm. it i assume most people picked up on that but you know i just i think going forward he's gonna have a, a a much bigger history than we expect and um, he's going to be much more fleshed out as a character because of that, and more central because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, my second prediction is that that space between heartbeats um, in Sanderson's magic system is the equivalent of the th- theoretical quantum field. I think that's how I think that's the inspiration that Brandon took from that, and I think that's hmm. how he's going to treat that in the future. And <clears throat> my last prediction is about these black ships that are surrounding the lifebusters. Um, the ones whom Spencer can't hear orders sent to, who we witness, as other pilots put it, flying slightly better than your standard Krell interceptors. Um, I think they are ships that are piloted, and I think that they are ships that are piloted um, by actual Krell, or if not that, maybe even actual humans. And that would explain why Spence is not able to tap into those particular communications and hear, you know, and, and anticipate those black ships as she can with the rest of the Krell. Okay. So, those like are my those. predictions. 
I've always thought that maybe Mbot was <clears throat> like Mbot's previous pilot had say like downloaded their intelligence or something into Mbot. I could see that. Okay. Well, I'm going to uh, refrain from predictions. Okay. Um, it would be a little unfair for a couple of reasons. So. What do you mean? <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> I forgot. Okay. All right. Um, yeah. Okay. So, hold on. What is this point that I have here that I'm looking at? Uh, sorry. Let, let, let's just continue. I'll, I'll figure that out later. So, are we, do we have any like um, anything else you guys want to get out of the way as far as closing thoughts? Is there anything that we're missing or that I'm totally forgetting that we need to do at this point? Um, I, I just want to speak to the quality of this book overall. Mm -hmm. uh, I think this is legitimately one of Brandon Sanderson's best books. Okay. Uh, yep. Of among his Cosmere stuff that I've read, it it's probably a little bit like like a hair below Firefight for my favorite. Uh, but it just generally speaking, when when I consider Brandon Sanderson's canon of works, there's like a top tier that's Oathbringer and Words of Radiance, mm -hmm. and then there's a second tier down, and that's where Skyward falls in, and and that's with Firefight and Bands of Morning. Wow. wow. And, uh, have, yeah. and and I really liked this book. You know, he he did some new things that I don't think he's done before as a writer. Uh, I loved how he used a, a blend of first and third person limited points of view in this. Mm -hmm. uh, I enjoyed the humor for the most part. I enjoyed the characters almost unanimously. Okay. Uh, I thought there were satisfying twists. There was a there was a great climax to this book. It was paced well. Uh, he, I mean, he just... Sanderson continues to get better as a writer, and that's yeah. so exciting for me as a, as a fan of his. Mm -hmm. Where you, you consider the quality of stuff that he started at, which was already pretty high, and that he just keeps getting better. And that, I mean, that makes me so excited to see what happens with, like, Stormlight 4 and 5. And, and, and the Lost Metal. And uh, when we hopefully, 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 eventually get Nightblood. <laughs> yeah. Or uh, the Threnody novel or the Silverlight novella. You know, these, these Cosmere things that he's putting off. And, and Dragonsteel. Like, you know, man, I can't wait for some of these things. Especially because he's going to have so much work to improve, to keep improving between now and then. And this book, I feel like, is a is just another signpost on that road saying, yes, Brandon Sanderson is still getting better. Yeah. I, I just want to say that in, in direct contrast to the last 20 minutes I've spent bitching about Cobb and Ironsides, I also <laughs> really liked this book. I wouldn't say it's right in the top two like, like like drew said uh, you, you said words of radiance oathbringer were like you're saying you're in your top two there yeah and you said yeah. skyward in your you know uh arbitrary list there would fall just one tier below it i don't know if i would agree with that i think it'd be one further down um i noticed he didn't okay. include hero of ages in there which for me is in tier one right alongside words of radiance wow. in oathbringer okay. um i loved hero of ages but that that that's totally aside we'll, the point. we'll get to that like we'll a get couple to months down the road yes we will <laughs> um but i just i do want to say that i love that in a volume this size which i mean this is a ya novel this is very small compared to his average sanderson can continue to surpass our expectations and not only answer a few big questions but pose even bigger questions that follow after 
Mm-hmm. You know, the reveal of what Spence's father really did was somehow worse than anything I was expecting, and it was somehow creepier than anything I was expecting. <clears throat> and then I spent his life. Yeah, the eyes. And then Spence's <laughs> life just kind of resumes with some normalcy. We just start to relax. And then Cobb has his brief conversation with Spencer about the hundreds of the eyes in the darkness surrounding you. And I was like, okay, we're not quite out of the woods yet. Um, but the amount of questions that he can make the reader ask in, a, in a, a volume this you know small, relatively speaking, I thought was nothing short of astounding. And I totally agree with what Drew has said. Um, and as much as I was bitching about what, you know, Ironsides, I, I do want to reiterate that I say that her viewpoints were written very well. Those were yeah. some of the best written viewpoints I've ever seen come out of Brandon Sanderson. Um, this book, for me, I would probably place it overall as like a 7.8, maybe 8.0 out of 10. <laughs> Just really quickly throwing together a number there. But, you know, I'm definitely excited for, for Starsight. Like, I'm counting down the days for that one. Um, and I really look forward to, to where this narrative is going in the future. It was definitely mm-hmm. worth the time. I, I bought it on Audible, and I bought it on e-reader, and no regrets. I was very happy with it. I, I thought he built tension in a typical Sanderson style. I think that kind of... Uh, <clears throat> I compare it to Steelheart and Firefight, I would say. Okay. Um... I think Sanderson, I like that Sanderson pulls off YA pretty well. He does. Um, yeah. There's a lot of YA out there that's pretty pretty terrible quality in my opinion. And <laughs> I think that he, he does a very good job with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Much agreed on this side too. Um, so do we want to move into the final draft then? Yeah, we could do that. Let's do it. Okay. I mean, I can start us off since um, I, I, I prepared a little bit, but I didn't prepare too much. So that mine should be pretty quick here. Um, I did prepare. Oh, I prepare. I did uh, bring a thematically appropriate beer today from, for the first time, I think it might be with me. But uh, this is a beer here that I've been drinking from Cameron's Brewing Company in Oakville, Ontario. So this is pretty close to me. This is only about three hours, okay. maybe two hours drive from uh, where I live in Ontario. Um, this is a cream ale, which I've never had before. It's a little uh, sweeter than I expected. Yeah, Sorry? Good style. That's the style, yeah. And yeah. this one here is called Cosmic. And it's got a whole bunch of moon and stars all over it. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's 5%. It's, you know, your normal strength. Um, I've, by this point, my beer's a little warm, but it's still, you know, enjoyable. So I think that speaks a lot towards its quality right there. Nice. Yeah. No, Sounds uh, tasty. I like cream ales quite a lot. They're uh, cream ales. I don't they're, think I've heard of them. Underutilized style, I feel like. Yeah. Cool. All right, what are you guys drinking? Uh, so I went with a Dunkel Lager from Grimm Brothers Brewhouse called the Fearless Youth. So I thought that was a little fitting given our <laughs> context today. I would agree. It's quite good. Yeah. I'm a fan of lagers like this. Yeah, Normally I see um, you bringing porters or stouts onto the podcast. That is definitely most common, yes. Yeah, we, we were recording this at like uh, 11 a.m. on a Sunday, though. So, <laughs> Despite that, though, uh, I did bring a stout. <laughs> I'm sure you did. Uh, okay, let's hear it, man. And, and I'll, I'll say, I, I think Jared actually beat me on this one for, uh, for thematically appropriate. I've been, I, my weekend's been a little bit of a mess, so I was in a rush this morning. Like, I, I kind of just grabbed the first thing that I was... I was like, oh, you know, this is a good beer and, and it can fit. Um, so I'm drinking an Imperial Stout from Prairie Artisan Ales. Uh, 
called Bomb. Uh huh. And uh, uh, so it's an imperial stout aged on coffee and vanilla beans and chili peppers. And what? Yeah. And so <laughs> this is. It's really good. So pr- Prairie Bomb is like a... All episode without cursing, I just did it twice in one second. Sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, I mean, it's really good. You know, it's got a little <laughs> bit of that, like, uh, spicy bite in, in the finish. But, you know, plays really well with the chocolate. Uh, very tasty. But even better than that, so it's it's brewed with coffee beans, right? And the coffee beans are sourced from Spaceship Earth Coffee Company. <laughs> oh god, really? So I got a double that's, whammy here. That's pretty thematic. Dang. Alright. Cool. But, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, Prairie does good stuff, and, and, you know, I haven't had them on the podcast yet, so I thought it was a good opportunity to give them a shout out. Another one to write down for when I visit, man. Oh man, I'm gonna um, get alcohol poisoning at this point. <laughs> <laughs> well, so before we. Uh, wrap this thing up today we do have an announcement to make mm-hmm. and uh i am sitting here right now with a brand new signed oh. copy of skyward and we would like to give this away so what we want to do is uh basically as soon as this episode goes live <laughs> there is going to be a post in the inking out loud podcast facebook group uh <laughs> calling for your what what call sign would you give yourself? Ooh. Had you been you know a cadet in in the uh, Skyward universe here, and whoever uh, has what we think is the best call sign, so this will be subjective. But yes, uh, our discuss. favorite call sign, uh, <laughs> you will get this book for free. We will ship it to you. Uh, all, all we'll need is your address. But so in order to enter into this, just uh, join the Inking Out Loud Facebook group and. Comment on that post with your call sign, and we'll uh, uh, make a choice. And I just want to add that if you name yourself Stick, I will personally ban you from the group. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. That's a total joke. That's a total joke. I just, you know, I just wanted to say it. Sorry. Sorry. All oh, right. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> We're going to get so many that are almost Stick. I just wanted yeah, to call uh, it because you know there's going to be a bunch of them. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, we... we we look forward to giving this thing away. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a signed Brandon Sanderson book, and hopefully we'll be able to do a few more of these in the future. Uh, but this is this is our first giveaway. so Awesome. I look forward to it. And I, I didn't know about this until right as we were about to record the podcast. Drew picked up the book. He opened it and said, check this out. I want to give this away. And I saw this, the, the autograph at the very beginning, and I went, what? I don't even have one of those. That's awesome. Awesome. <laughs> so we're excited to be giving that away. Stay tuned, everyone. Yeah, absolutely. So what are we what are we uh, doing next week, man? Uh, next week we are returning to Kane. Uh, we will be covering Aww. the entirety of Kane Blackknife. <laughs> uh, it, it's a much shorter book than than Hero's Dire Blade of Taishal, so we're going to be doing the whole thing in one episode. Um, it won't be as grim as the last couple of Kane episodes, thankfully. I, I think Blade of Taishal is yeah, the darkest in the series. But, but yeah, so next week we'll be doing the whole book. And, uh, yeah, so for, for now, this has been, what was it, episode 16? 16, I think this is, unless we throw anything bonus in between. Well, well you never know what might happen, right? <laughs> well, you never know. You never know. But formally speaking, this is episode 16, Skyward, Brandon Sanderson. Yeah, so uh, as usual, I'm Drew McCaffrey, and I got with me Rob Santos and our Word. special guest, Jared Livingston. Thanks for having me, guys. And Thanks uh, for coming, dude. 
Thanks for listening. Bye, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs>